Welcome to the SCS Summer Webinar Series. Our purpose today is to review the reimbursement cuts outlined in the recently published Medicare proposed rule and to examine the potential impact on our specialty and more importantly, on our patients. As you know, my name is Keith Nonheim, and for many years I worked for the SDS in the coding and billing arena, and then for several years in health policy as well. I'll be joined on the panel today by Frank Nichols from the Mayo Clinic. Uh, he's a thoracic surgeon there and is also chair of our uh, workforce on billing and reimbursement, and also by Alan Spear, who is a heart surgeon from the Inova system in Virginia and also the chair of our uh, health policy uh, task force. Dr. Nichols will be reviewing the background behind these cuts, as well as the damaging effects they would have on cardiothoracic healthcare in the country. And Dr. Spear will be examining the ongoing advocacy efforts from the society. And he'll also help outline what all of you, and hopefully the other members who are not on this call, can do to help. Finally, we'll be addressed by Liz DeHaan and Noah Green. They're representatives of the Brunswick Group. They've been consulted regarding outreach and will review our ongoing efforts with the media, and with the public. This is a complex topic and we have only an hour to cover a whole lot of ground, so please buckle up and get ready for a ton of information coming your way. But first, we're gonna be asking you for some questions. This is, we hope this to be a, a, a two-way uh, street. Uh, the Q&A at the bottom of your screen will allow you to ask questions of us and we will ask you to fill in the chat form if and when these questions that we're gonna ask you have an other answer. Many of these questions will ask you to hit everything that apply, but if there's an other, if you can hit the chat button and then fill in the other and give us details of exactly what you mean by your answer. So the first uh, question is your experience with advocacy. Uh, which of the following best describes your advocacy experience? Number one, you've participated in an STS fly-in in the past. Number two, contributed to the STS pack. Number three, I had a meeting with my member of Congress. Number four, I've responded to an action alert and sent an email to my member of Congress. Five, I've attended a political fundraiser. Six, I've not participated in advocacy, but I would like to start. Or I've not participated in advocacy, and I don't think I will in the future. Disappointing, but we'd like you to tell the truth. So if you could go ahead and submit your answer now. Well, it seems like we've got some work to do from the advocacy standpoint in terms of getting more of you people involved. And that's really what we want to do today. The whole idea of this topic is to make you aware of the, the grave concerns we have with the Medicare changes and what will happen potentially to your practices and to all of cardiothoracic specialty. So uh, uh, once again, here we go. Uh, the, what you can say is that these Medicare cuts uh, would be important in any era, but unfortunately, these come on the heels of the damage wrought by the current COVID pandemic. That pandemic has already strained healthcare systems across the country and led to large financial losses, wholesale firings and furloughs, forced retirements, and the failure of many practices and hospitals alike. The very infrastructure in which we work is threatened, and the reimbursement cuts announced by CMS will only make it worse. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to respond. We know the upcoming election is looming in under two months and with a subsequent lame duck congressional session thereafter. Although we've been preparing in concept for these changes, most Washington insiders felt CMS would actually back off in face of the COVID disaster. We thought the changes were coming, but everyone, our, our lobbyists, our elective representatives, felt that in the, in the face of this, the massive changes from COVID, CMS would back off and not proceed with those Dragonian reimbursement cuts, which they've suggested. But they didn't listen and they did. And to add insult to injury, the publication of the proposed rule in which they told us about these cuts was inexplicably delayed for a full month. Thus, that dramatically limits the time for our response. That's why we need to get going quickly and we need to get as many people as possible involved in the effort. All this means that our specialty needs to act decisively. We can't do it without your help and that of all the members. A failure to respond will seriously threaten our specialty and more importantly, access to cardiothoracic care for our patients. During this webinar, we'll be polling you on and off uh, regarding several issues. Please answer as thoroughly as you can. Uh, in addition, we'll ask you to send any questions, again, that you have on the topic using the Q&A tool at the bottom of your screen. Uh, as to submit your questions. Next slide. 
And I'd now like to ask Frank Nichols to give us the details on the background and the resultant res uh, effects of these proposed cuts. As I mentioned, Frank is the chair of the SCS workforce on coding and reimbursement and, and really can give us a, 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 an eagle-eyed view of exactly what's going on and what kind of effects it may have on the specialty. Frank? Terrific. Thank you, Keith. And thank you, everybody, for joining this this evening. I'd like to spend the next several minutes helping you understand the background for these Medicare cuts. For any particular procedure that you do on a Medicare patient, your Medicare reimbursement is based on the total RVUs that you generate doing that particular procedure multiplied by what's known as a conversion factor. The resulting number is your payment. Due to the 2021 CMS proposed changes to the conversion factor and current CMS policy changes, surgical specialties are going to see up to a 9% cut in Medicare reimbursement payments. This starts on New Year's Day 2021, and with everything going on, what a great way to start the new year. All this stems from a longstanding CMS effort to increase payments to primary care. The recent major overhaul to the NM codes has resulted in RBU increases for those codes. However, in order to control year-to-year -year spending, Medicare, CMS by law, has to operate under a policy called budget neutrality. Budget neutrality in this case causes some specialties to see major payment increases varying from 1% to 17%. However, the majority of specialties are going to see cuts ranging from negative 1% to negative 11%. As Keith said, despite the devastating effects of the pandemic, CMS is continuing with these cuts and even proposing further cuts in the recently released but still proposed physician fee schedule. Next slide. As far as the anatomy of the cuts goes, there is increased payment for the E&M services, which as I said, are budget neutral. Again, this means some specialties win and some specialties lose. All of this is in spite of the fact that the total RVUs you're doing for procedures, that is the work you're doing is not changing. You're not doing any less work, but it's the way CMS is manipulating the conversion factor that's gonna result in you getting paid less. Additionally, there are two new add-on codes that CMS created within this ENM family change. Those codes are for increased time or increased patient complexity. Those codes give even further reimbursement to the physicians who use ENM codes extensively. Despite a lack of AMA, CPT, and RUC support for these additional codes, CMS has still insisted on their, insisted on their implementation. Those two codes are also budget neutral. Finally, the vast majority of the procedures we perform are covered by a 90-day global period, and built into that global timeframe are defined E&M codes. The reality in, these, in the global period, these defined codes are the exact same E&M code numbers that CMS is increasing RVUs on. CMS has decided to selectively not increase the RVU values for the same E&M codes that are built into our global period. Importantly, this is against the law. By law, physicians, independent of their specialty, should receive the same payment for the same service. While it is true that we will benefit from the increased ENM payments for any revised ENM codes we use that are performed outside the surgical global period, that is for our uh, visits in the office not covered by a global, these, those increases actually pale in comparison to the decreases we're going to see in our procedural reimbursement and by not carrying the ENM increases through to our global codes. Next slide. Actually, I, the, going back, the RVU change, okay, the RVU changes are resulting in a conversion factor for 2021 uh, anticipated to be $32. The current uh, conversion factor in 2020 is $36. There'll be an 11% reduction, so that the new conversion factor is $32. Next slide. You see here on the top the formula CMS uses to calculate how it pays us. There are work RVUs, which represent about 51% of the total RVU you, you get paid, or get due. Their practice expense RVUs representing 45% of the total RVU and malpractice RVUs representing 4%. There then is this gypsy, it's a regional factor that adjusts for the difference of cost of living in different areas of the country. All of those get summed up and multiplied by the conversion factor. And as we said, CMS can change the conversion factor every year. What the graph shows is how the conversion factor since 1998 has hovered around $35. You can also see that what inflation has done over time. Had Congress and CMS adjusted the conversion factor for inflation, we'd now be expecting conversion factors of $75 to $80. Instead, we're seeing $32. The $32 rate CMS is proposing for 2021 is the lowest in 25 years. Next slide. 
Here in these tables, we see the revenue impact of various uh, specialties. These actually come from CMS's own published impact tables. The table on the left shows the losers and the table on the right, the winners. For surgical subspecialties, you see cardiac and thoracic surgery leading the way, unfortunately, with cuts of negative nine and negative 8%, vascular surgery, negative 7%, neurosurgery, negative 7%, and so on. However, not just surgical specialties are losers. Specialties which use almost no E&M codes are also losers. Our anesthesia colleagues are facing a minus 8% cut and radiology negative 11%. In the middle of a worldwide pandemic, you'd think CMS might spare our nation's infectious disease doctors, but no, they're also headed for a negative 4% cut. On the right, you see the winners, endocrinology positive 17%, rheumatology 16%, family practice 13%, Hematology oncology is actually increasing 14%, and it's interesting to contrast that with surgical oncology, which is seeing a 4.6% decrease. Or neurology, neurology is getting a 6% increase, and yet neurosurgery is seeing a 7% decrease. Next slide. In this slide, it's basically the same slide, but it's highlighting the fact that the impact of the additional 3 to 4% cut we're facing because they're not rolling the NM increases into our global period. The net total decrease for us is between negative 12 and negative 13%. Next slide. In the last minute or two, I'd like to share two very common cardiothoracic procedures and the financial impact of various CMS policies over the past 30 years. You see here the reimbursement for single internal mammary artery grafting and double vein graft cabbage. Back in 1987, the very infancy beginnings of RVRVS, the reimbursement was about $4,000. This year's reimbursement on the red line in absolute dollars is about uh, $2,380. However, with CMS's proposed cut for 2021, this will drop to $2,100. That's an 11.6% decrease. But looking at these graphs another way, the same $4,000 in $1987 is today only worth $922. It should be mentioned over time, there has been some decrease in the rate of these decreases in the mid-90s and a flattening of the curves over the past six years or so, and this is in part due to STS congressional advocacy. Most recently, our advocacy efforts have been looking at preserving global period payments and not eliminating payment for global codes. Next slide. Here we see basically the impact on lobectomy, open single lobectomy. These lines don't start in 1997, but actually start in 1992, which is why they're already slightly divergent. 1992 is when the RUC first started looking at the valuation of codes. Today's $1,400 lobectomy reimbursement, however, in 1987 dollars is only worth about $598. I'm sorry that I'm not painting a prettier picture before you, but there is a path forward. And with that, I'd like to turn things over to Dr. Alan Spear who chairs the STS Council on Health Policy and Relationships. Alan. Thank you. Good evening, everyone, and thank you very much for attending our webinar. 2020 has been a busy year for the STS Healthcare Policy and Advocacy Group. Let's see, let me turn this on. Thank you. The efforts were totally focused on COVID-19 pandemic from March to early summer of this year and have shifted significantly to efforts and strategy to address the reimbursement cuts by CMS after the final rule was published several months ago. As a brief background on the STS advocacy during COVID, due to the major reservations regarding supply chain limitations at the beginning of the pandemic in our country, direct communication was initiated by the STS with the Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services, Administrative Leadership of Energy and Commerce Committee, the Center of Disease Control, Food and Drug Administration, and the National Institute of Health, as well as directly with congressmen and senators and their respective staff in order to keep our STS members able to safely practice. Specifically, the STS advocated that Congress consider modifications to the current administrative impediments to healthcare delivery on behalf of our surgeons by providing Good Samaritan protections for physicians who practice across state lines, relief of unnecessary prior authorizations for care, small business relief for physician practices, including small business loans, requesting disability protections for physicians treating COVID-19 patients, protecting physicians and Medicare alternative payment models from losses due to cancel cases 
and poor outcomes, suspension of the annual 2% Medicare budget sequester, and suspension of the macro quality reporting requirements. Additionally, the STS worked closely with ELSO in order to fast track through the FDA the release of the Nautilus oxygenator to supplement limited ECMO supplies. Next slide, please. As the pandemic continued into the late spring and summer, our advocacy efforts with Congress became focused on profound financial adverse impact that the COVID and the resultant cancellation of elective cardiac and thoracic surgical procedures was having on our practices, regardless of whether they were on employed cardiothoracic surgeons or those in private practice. We've had numerous examples of private practice closures, salary reductions from two to 5% and up to 30%, and other examples of surgeons who were unable to get paid at all as funds went to staff expenditures and overhead. Commonly, necessary FTEs were eliminated due to inadequate funding and new technology and infrastructural improvements were deferred. At this point, we'd like to give a poll of our uh, group that's in attendance tonight. You could put up the poll. Which of the following have you experienced in the COVID-19 pandemic? Have you had closure of your practice, salary reductions, <clears throat> elimination of the FTEs, deferred purchasing of new technology and infrastructure improvements, or other? And as we said, please detail the other in the chat. Pretty impressive. A third had salary reductions, 40% eliminated uh, staff, and over 60% deferred uh, infrastructural improvements. Thank you. Next slide, please. Despite these financial issues and concerns, CMS has shown no hesitancy in proceeding with their plans to implement the final rule in January of 2021. The STS repeatedly sought to address these issues and the potentially disastrous effects that their actions would have on our surgeons superimposed on the ongoing effects from the pandemic. Unfortunately and candidly, we've not been particularly successful to date. As a result, we must turn directly to Congress. The STS is addressing these issues from three fronts. The advocacy efforts, the surgical coalition advocacy, and this is coordinated efforts with the American College across all surgical specialties and subspecialties, and what we've determined as the Surgical Care Coalition, which is a subgroup of surgical specialties with our American College leadership which includes the STS, the Society of Vascular Surgery, Society of Neurosurgery, Orthopedics, and Ophthalmology, in partnership with our media consultants, the Brunswick Group. We will hear from Liz Dehan and Noah Cristola Green with the Brunswick Group in just a few minutes. It is clear, however, that our grassroots operation will be of vital importance as we fight these impending cuts. Next slide. This slide addresses our three-pronged approach. First, advocacy. There have been numerous comment letters that have been sent to CMS and the Health and Human Service official, most to no avail. We've had numerous meetings with our legislators and congressional staff. We've sent over 500 action alerts to our members. We have facilitated numerous STS member meetings with legislators and have hosted the STS advocacy on social media. Our PAC has been very active, but can always be better. During this election cycle, the PAC raised over $330,000 and distributed almost all of it equitably between our Democrats and Republican uh, House and Senatorial uh, members. The STS members and staff have interacted with the legislators when these contributions were made. We've also hosted events for the STS members to interact with our chairman for the Republican National Congressional Committee and our political director of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. The coalitions I've mentioned and the Surgical Coalition has organized literally hundreds of Hill meetings with numerous surgeons from all the specialties and, the le and their individual legislators. We will hear more of the Surgical Care Coalition efforts and their activities in the presentation by Brunswick. Next slide, please. We cannot stress, however, how much uh, your individual involvement will be helpful in our advocacy efforts. 
The more the STS members who become personally involved in our advocacy efforts, the more Congress will see this is in an election year that this needs to be addressed. Your stories, your personal stories will be incredibly useful and are crucial to this fight. Members of Congress want to hear from their own constituency. And we it candidly have done about as much from our societal advocacy and we really need your help at this point. Next slide, please. This is how to get involved. Become a key contact and meet with your legislators. Meetings during an election year can be very effective. Your members of Congress need to hear how these changes are gonna impact on you and your patients. Virtual meetings will take less time out of your busy schedule than face-to-face -face meetings. And our staff with the STS will help you in scheduling, providing talking points, meeting support, and reference materials. Below you can see the website for our government relations team at advocacy at scs.org and a phone number if you have specific questions that you can call directly. Thank you for your interest in attending this webinar and we really are counting on your uh, input, your direction, and your support. At this point I'll defer to the Brunswick group to address our media initiatives. Thank you so much for that. And hi, everyone. My name is Liz Dahan. I'm a director at the Brunswick Group. I'm the campaign manager for the work with the Surgical Care Coalition based in Washington, DC. And I'm really looking forward to walking you through our strategy today. And you know, the landscape, we've already talked a lot about it, right? We, we know that the cuts are going to go into place in January 2021 unless we can stop them. There is more space than ever for engagement with the Hill, given that the nature of remote work and the need for them to continue to connect with uh, constituents in an election year. There's a growing concern for how, what the future of private practices look like as a result of COVID and these cuts. And COVID has highlighted the essential role that elective surgeries play in hospital systems. I wanna walk you through the strategy that we have been deploying for the last several months and our go forward strategy from here. But I wanna emphasize that our strategy and our campaign is rooted in entirely in data. And I would like to ask Noah Christula Green to walk through how some of the key points that have informed our strategy and uh, turn it over to him. Thank you so much, Liz. My name is Noah Christula Green. I'm a director with Brunswick Insight, which is the research arm of Brunswick Group. Uh, we work on the surveys and focus groups that we conducted ahead of time to help inform the campaign that Liz described. Uh, if we can go to the next slide, please. We wanted to do a, a series of research operations before we began the campaign to really understand what our ideal messaging will be with different audiences, as well as to identify challenges that we would need to overcome. This took place in several phases. This included an online survey of registered voters. We also conducted a member survey of different members of the Surgical Care Coalition, which some people on this call may have actually taken. And finally, we did focus groups with policy influencers in the DC metro area. I'm gonna walk through a highlight of some of, these, some of the research findings we had and how that informed a lot of our messages that took place. Also, I apologize ahead of time, I will have to drop off at the immediate conclusion of my section, but Liz will very capably be able to take everything uh, forward from there. Next slide, please. When we started this research, we understood that there was some concern about how surgeons were perceived. There was some particular, uh, I believe, previous research done, which had found that there were negative associations in terms of how surgeons were seen by the public and that this might undercut any efforts made to advocate against the Medicare cuts. One of the key things we actually found is that while the public does have some uh, negative preconceptions about surgeons due to some unfair stereotypes, we actually find that large majorities have very positive views of surgeons. And more importantly, they understand the value that surgeons add. They see them as individuals who save lives, who are hardworking and meticulous, and who have earned their salaries due to their work in education. With this and several other data points, we felt confident in being able to advocate for surgeons in this, in this campaign and really leaning on these positive impressions that people have of surgeons and not the negative stereotypes that you may be more familiar with. 
In addition to looking at the perceptions of surgeons in general, we also wanted to understand the effectiveness of different message frames we were considering. And the next slide covers what some of the first messages we tested were. We tested messages that covered a broad range of topics. Some messages focused more on Medicare. Other messages made arguments about the impact this would have on surgeons specifically, as well as uh, messages related to doing these cuts in the middle of a global pandemic. What we found is that our strongest messages really focus on the impact that these cuts will have on Medicare patients. And this really reinforces a broader theme we found in our research, which is that tying these cuts back to the impact they have on the patients is going to be critical in terms of making our case and helping to win the support of lawmakers. In addition to this particular research that we did on our end with the public and also with policy influencers, we also did some research among surgeons and surgeons within the Surgical Care Coalition. The next slide shows one of the key things we checked, which was awareness of this new CMS rule. Now, the data you're seeing here is from May of this year. And what we found was that just under a third of surgeons were even familiar that this rule was coming. Now, at the time, the rule had not yet been published. However, we still saw, saw this as a key um, warning indicator that more needed to, be, needed to be done to educate surgeons on the impact of the rule and why we were trying to, and, and the impact it would have on their practices. In fact, it's partly because of this figure that Liz and myself are here to do our part to help raise awareness. Next slide, please. We also wanted to use this survey of surgeons to better understand some of the negative consequences um, that the rule would have. The first one shows what uh, most surgeons believe will be the negative consequences of the rule. And the bottom part of this slide shows the negative consequences as perceived by surgeons who have a private practice. One thing that I think is key to note here is that about a third of surgeons in private practice and a, a similar amount uh, in general do see the risk of a decrease in the number of Medicare patients accepted due to the rule. This is a critical data point and one which we have talked about in our messaging as a way of driving home that this rule is not just gonna have an impact on surgeons, but an impact on their patients as well and thus must be avoided. Um, final slide for my section, please. Due to the research that we were able to do, um, both qualitative and quantitative, that helped to shape the campaign. It helped to shape um, our broad thematic messaging, but also our focus. You'll notice that the excerpt here from our website focuses on how these cuts hurts patients, and that was a very intentional finding as a result of our focus group research. Liz is now going to walk us through how the campaign itself has gone forward after we did this research to help gain an understanding of what messages we should be focusing on and what we should be emphasizing as we communicate these cuts and the impact they will have. Thanks, Noah. And if we go to the next slide. Uh, you'll see here that um, we've been targeting media, um, we've been targeting, we recognize that we're in an election year and that it's super noisy with the election and COVID and civil unrest and how to break through. The way to break through is by leveraging the fact that we know that there are imperatives in both the Democratic and the Republican Party to either preserve a majority or win a majority. And so we want to try to create a situation where these CMS cuts become a problem that needs to be solved by Congress before the election, or at least see an object of this becoming a conversation for the election in the various states and possibly at the national level to get this solved. So if you just um, advance the slide one time, you'll see that what we've started here is um, trying to create a, a, a surround sound for your advocacy teams by putting surgeons' voices in the media to raise this issue. And that allows the advocacy team to reach out to stakeholders in each of the battleground states to say, this is an issue that you should be aware of and you need to solve. If you forward one more slide here, we've um, amplified these efforts by using paid and targeted media to share and, 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 and um, put advertising behind these pieces so that more people are aware of this issue. And you'll see we took each of those media pieces and amplified them, reaching over 10 million people. And then we further amplified a piece that we were able to place by um, Dr. Hoyt from the ACS 
on, on CNN to uh, really target the um, capitals and states where key decision makers in Congress sit. So that's where you see those little red targets. Next slide. And then we are also wanting to educate surgeons. As um, all, all of the panelists have said, it's so important for your stakeholders, your uh, legislators to hear from you and hear about your experiences. And we do recognize that there is a bit of an education hurdle that needs to take place here. And so we put some um, advertising behind educational videos for surgeons to begin to reach out to folks. And we've gotten over 700,000 views and over 2,000 contacts from surgeons across the country to their legislators to try to raise this issue and show what this, these cuts mean for them and their communities. Next slide. So what we want to do is ask you some questions, you know, um, in response to these cuts, which of the following are you considering? Could it possibly be early retirement, limiting Medicare patients, limiting Medicaid or charity patients? Um, if you're in private practice, are you thinking of closing or selling your practice? Or is there something else that you might be thinking of? This is exactly what we thought might happen. And this is the biggest risk and the issue that we wanna to try to raise with our stakeholders. We don't want to limit the amount of charity patients that we take on, and we do not wanna limit the number of Medicare patients that we want to take on. And so there is, um, this is basically the message that we're hoping that you can convey to your stakeholders and do it as often as you possibly can. We can talk about different ways but certainly email is one way, calling is another. I know that the advocacy team stands by ready to support any, any, any um, video conferences that you might want to conduct with a staff either in your state or in Washington, DC. It's really important that you talk about how these cuts are making you think about how you're gonna do your work and the impact that that is going to have on patients. So then we also wanna ask, um, how does this make you feel? After learning about these cuts, which of the following activities are you likely to participate in? A virtual fly-in, contributing to the PAC, meeting with your member of Cong Congress, responding to an action alert, attending a, a virtual political fundraiser, or what other options, like not participating in advocacy? Great. This is awesome. So we will walk through um, multiple different ways that you can do this. Um, Dr. Spear mentioned some earlier. Certainly the STS has many different um, as, uh, um, ways that you can get in touch with staff and work with them on your advocacy strategies. Um, and then also if you visit the surgicalcare.org website that Noah showed earlier, there's a, there's a way for you to get in touch with your Congress as well. Um, and I'll just kind of wrap up my part of the presentation by telling you what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. It's very exciting. So um, we're in the final run towards the, towards the election. And as I was mentioning before, it's really important that we use this moment to try to create a problem that Congress needs to solve. We need to create momentum. And we have a, we have a colleague on our team, Tim Griffin, who is a former representative from Arkansas, and he told us, that he would, numbers really mattered. So if he, of a certain number of people were contacting him about a particular issue, he would turn his attention to that and say, what is going on? How do I solve this? Who do I need to talk to? And that's the kind of pressure that we want to try to put on um, our, our legislators over the next couple of weeks. And we're really going to be counting on you. And what we're going to do to do that, if you just hit click one more time for me, is really go after some really key states here. And um, what we'll be doing is putting some paid media behind that, but then also um, looking to try to uh, convene uh, a lot of effort across the various surgical care um, groups to, uh, to really reach out. And so the week of action that we are targeting is the week of September 22nd. There will be multiple communications coming to you from the STS with lots of ways that you can engage, ways that you can work and refer your friends to, um, to reach out to their legislators, to work with your patients, to help make them aware of this potential cut and how that's going to affect them and their access to care. 
There's going to be, uh, we're going to pursue media opportunities across the week, leveraging uh, celebrity surgeons from across the United States and help them raise, the, raise awareness amongst um, the general public. Essentially, we're going to use this as a moment to create surround sound for this effort. And we really need your help. Your voice matters. Many times you think I'm just one, but really you will add up to many. And we've seen some progress already. We're hoping to drive some concentrated act activity the week of September 22nd. And we're really looking forward to working with you to help do that more. So with that, I'll wrap up and um, hand it over to Dr. Nonheim to um, facilitate a Q&A and looking forward to answering any questions you might have about this process. You're muted, Keith. Yep, it's not a pretty picture. 11 to 13% payment cut is remarkable and potentially disastrous. Um, it would be bad if the people in private practice, they're gonna to have to decrease the amount of charity care they do, decrease their number of FDEs, decrease salaries for their, for their workers. People, even people who are uh, employed by hospitals, by uh, large uh, uh, health systems, they're gonna notice that and they're gonna come knocking at your door. This is a serious problem and it's crunch time. We haven't got that much time left. We've got uh, essentially a few weeks before the, before the election and then a lame duck section, a session thereafter for Congress. We've gotta get their attention and we do that as Liz suggested through numbers. So should you contact your congressman when we ask him? Yes. Should you get your spouse to do the same? Yes. If you have adult children, the answer is yes and ally yourself with the other surgical specialists within your, uh, within your uh, uh, house, within your hospital. They're gonna be just as affected as you are. Vascular surgery, neurosurgery, general surgery, oncologic surgery, everybody's gonna be taking a significant hit. If it means you uh, uh, rallying the troops and getting them with torches and pitchforks so that they're all get excited and they all contact their congressman, so be it. Uh, when, I, when he asked you, the, it, you it, how should you react? You should react as if your job may depend on it, because indeed your job may depend on it. This is not likely the last pay cuts that you're going to see or you're going to be presented with. CMS has suggested decreasing the amount of uh, uh, reimbursement you get because they're saying you're not giving the post-operative care you used to, and they're going to decrease the global perhaps next year. This has to be stopped, and it has to be stopped now. If you don't help us, we're gonna have a hell of a hard time getting it stopped. If you do help us, we've got a good chance at, at reversing this, not through CMS, but through Congress. So I can't, if we, if we contact you, if we ask you to, to send a letter to your congressman or your, your, your uh, senator, it's really easy to do. You pretty much click four buttons, fill in your name and it's done. The real people who are gonna be hurt by this, we will all somehow one way or another get by. Our patients may not. If this leads to decreased elective surgery, decreased uh, Medicare uh, uh, patient care, decreased Medicaid patient care, it's gonna hurt the American people and nobody wants to be associated with that. So when we, we reach out to you, please contribute, please write your congressman, please, uh, arrange for a virtual fly-in with your, with your uh, congressperson and or your senator. Get your friends involved, get your spouses involved, your family, your allies uh, in the surgical community, vascular, neuro, all those people. We need to get together a big effort to make a, a difference. And it's going to be up to you guys as well. So we do have some questions uh, that we can uh, try and answer. Um, the first question that came in was from Robert Jones. He said, for hospital-employed CT surgeons, what recommendations are there to assist with negotiating with hospital administration to maintain or increase the pay for CT surgeons? Uh, and I won't tell you there's, a, there's an easy answer, but I, I can tell you that you need to reinforce the fact in their minds that cardiothoracic services have the highest profit margin for hospitals across the board, across the country. You are their real moneymaker, whether it's just because you are there to help with a TAVR or you're actually doing elective cases. The other thing that is in your favor is that the 
the upsurge in stents in the 1990s and early 2000s led to markedly decreased number of cabbages being done. That meant that surgeons, 80% of us were, were essentially, that's what we did for a living. 80% uh, of our practice was cabbages. That went down. People were essentially twiddling their thumbs. Uh, patients uh, were, were not getting elective surgery done. And because of that, practices and, and uh, hospitals were not hiring heart surgeons because they didn't need as many because there weren't doing as many cases done. What happened was that that kind of message went down through the ranks, through the fellows, through the residents, to the med students, and essentially our applicant number decreased by half. At one point, we couldn't even fill all our, our, our fellowships. For a period of 10 to 12 years, we undertrained uh, surgeons. We didn't have enough to, to uh, make up for all the people who were retiring. Because of that, we've got a markedly decreased uh, uh, level of manpower now within the uh, cardiothoracic community. We have fewer surgeons than uh, ever. And as you know, about 55% of our uh, uh, surgeons are over the age of 55 and looking at retirement within the next decade or so. So one of the strongest arguments you can have is that if they decrease your pay, you're gonna look elsewhere. And it's a hard thing to do, it's, it's, a, it's a big change and, and it's not an easy answer, but the reality is there aren't enough high quality heart surgeons out there to fill the void. Same is true for thoracic surgeons. And if you doubt that, any of you who've, who've just been looking to, to add on to, uh, to increase your, uh, uh, your group, know it's really hard to find quality people. So the best I can tell you is that you have to remind them how valuable you are to them, number one, and number two, that if you have to walk, you're willing to do so. Um, another question. Uh, I believe most cardiac surgeons are employed as a, a dropping Medicare. It's not a viable option. You're right. About 80% of the patients we do are, are, are Medicaid, Medicare patients. Why are we just hearing about this issue in the last couple of months? And I would have thought this would have been a more critical issue earlier. Were we not aware of CMS intentions? Yes, we were aware of CMS intentions. And as I tried to uh, put into the, the talk earlier, we were, have been preparing this response for some time. However, every consultant we talked to, every lobbyist we spoke to, every congressman, every senator assured us that there was, they would not go through with the cuts because of the COVID pandemic. So essentially, we held everything in abeyance because we didn't know whether or not the cuts were really going to come through. And you can't warn people about something that may or may not happen. They're just not going to listen. It's a, the rule telling us about this was supposed to come out in July. It didn't. It didn't come out till August. So we were yet another month behind the curve. So now essentially we're, it's September. We've had about a month to get this together. That's why you're hearing about it late. We feel as bad about it as you do, honestly, but we've got to get this moving. Otherwise we're not going to make any headway. Uh, another, uh, Alan, do you have a, a point to make as well? Because I think this is a critical question the, um, we've been working in the fall to try to understand the level of cuts that this might be. From our, uh, uh, we were giving our legislators the heads up and looking for help, which they deferred back to that CMS was not going to go through it for the reasons you said. The real issue is we were totally caught in this quagmire between we didn't have the information to talk to the legislators because it was their consensus that it was not gonna happen. So I totally understand and support uh, the angst that, they're, that everybody's feeling because we've been feeling the same thing, but we couldn't get the responsiveness from CMS to at least acknowledge if the cuts were gonna happen and how much they were gonna be. So we couldn't agree more, and that's why we're having this webinar tonight. Yep, go ahead, Frank. Thank you. I think the big problem is that conversion factor, okay, that's out there. And we have written letters to CMS, okay, uh, both ourselves and multiple societies, saying that this budget neutrality should not apply to these E&M changes. You know, the big thing driving this is the E&M change. And the reality is we do do more work. As I said, as a general thoracic surgeon, I'm looking at CT scans now with a thousand images and a PET scan. I do more work now evaluating and managing patients than I did before. So we're supportive of E&M changes going through, but that transcends all of medicine. 
because the volume of those EMM codes is so high, a level four established patient, there's 100 million of those billed per year to CMS, 100 million. So therefore the conversion factor had to go way down. That's all because of this budget neutrality. We're really lobbying for CMS to not make this E&M change budget neutral, to get that conversion factor back to a reasonable level. That's one of the biggest things I think we want to accomplish in, in, in the short term. There's other things like the E&M and the global period and all, but it's that conversion factor that's really doing us in right now. Another question that was asked was uh, uh, asking about uh, uh, the long-term implications. What impact would this, uh, would could we expect on the future of CT surgery because this would provide significant disincentives to recruit the next generation of surgeons. And that's a, it's a great uh, uh, observation and one that we've used in the past and will use again uh, of during this time with the senators and congressmen. Because, man, if, if, if it's, it's not worth training for uh, eight, nine, 10 years if all you can see is decreasing reimbursement you can make a hell of a lot more money as a hedge fund manager or a lawyer or a business person than you can uh, as, a, as a heart surgeon. And we are going to lose good candidates uh, uh, if they don't, if they persist and go down this line. Um, uh, another question is, do we have a playbook to help organize our surgical colleagues within our institution? Um, we don't actually have a fixed playbook for that yet. And if, if someone has, um, uh, uh, you know, suggestions, that would be great. But I will say that um, we are working at, at the hand in glove with ACS and with the Surgical Care Coalition, with the, the, uh, the Associations for Vascular Surgery, Neurosurgery, General Surgery, Oncologic Surgery. We are all working on the, on the, along the same lines and trying to coordinate our efforts. So hopefully, if you talk with your general surgeon or your vascular surgical friend or a neurosurgical friend, they will have heard about this from their own associations. And within a hospital, you can actually uh, start working together, to, uh, and if you have to, to ally with yourselves, especially if administration comes to start picking you off one at a time, you can't let that happen. You have to uh, join up and, and uh, become a, a group. Alan, you had a point? Yes, uh, that was Dr. Grow. And Mark, thank you for that. Uh, that's, that's a key question. I think, first of all, this, uh, is, this presentation is being recorded. And so a copy of these slides will be available for you to share not only with the cardiac and thoracic surgeons, but with other uh, uh, surgical uh, members within, within your, your hospital. On the 21st uh, of this month, in a week from Monday, there'll be a, um, another webinar for all of surgery where we'll be presenting uh, the comparable presentations that it would behoove you to keep a lookout for, and we can try to make that a, a notified and available for you. Well, where this will be not just from a SDS perspective, but from an American college global surgical perspective to raise the visibility and the concerns as well. So those, so for the short term, you'll have a copy of this presentation and then within 10 days, you'll have a larger, uh, broader spectrum that would be applicable to other surgical specialties as well. Keeping in mind, it's not just surgery, but you saw the list that it's affecting some of the internal medicine, uh, not many, but, but some of them. Right. So Alan, I was going to make that point. It's radiology, also an anesthesia. We work with our anesthesiology colleagues right. all the time. So it's just making them aware. What is their society doing? Radiology is minus 11%. And infectious disease, it's hard to believe, okay, in the pandemic, that CMS is actually going to cut our infectious disease colleagues. So, so use all, all the friends you have, all the acquaintances, family, friends, perfusionists. They're going to be threatened if, if, if you lose your job as well. You, you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, hesitate to be as aggressive uh, as you can to collaborate with the other specialties that are going to be affected. If you don't, we're going to be in a heap of trouble. We're in a heap of trouble already. We got to climb out of this hole. And to do that, once again, everybody on this call, plus your, your partners in practice, if, if people uh, in your city doing cardiothoracic surgery are not on this call, you should contact them. If you can organize them, make them aware. 
point them towards this uh, webinar so they can get on the SCS website and go through the webinar. They can be, uh, uh, become activists as well. We need all hands on deck if we're going to get anything done. And Keith, we've been working with the Brunswick Group and looking at how we can go directly to our patients and begin to advise them of what impact this will have on access potentially for them and have them as advocates of us to do this jointly. Yeah, and so- add, Oh, sorry. This is Liz. I would just add that um, the, um, the, uh, the week of action that will be taking place the week of September 21st will include several different pieces of uh, content for you to be able to either contact your legislator directly or um, even we're putting together a, a toolkit for each of your different offices to be able to communicate digitally with your patients to make them aware of this um, of these cuts and the impact that it's going to have on patients. So you will be receiving um, throughout that week multiple different ways to use content to connect with your legislators, find ways to raise this issue with the people that you um, are working with and hold dear. And, um, and then also uh, lots of different ways to educate others about what's going on and start conversations to keep this moving. So there will be, um, we're just trying to use this week to kind of create an event that really galvanizes the surgical groups to, um, to, be, to be really uh, applying pressure to Congress before they go out for recess so that they keep this at the top of their agenda when they come back. So we're coming to the end of the hour, and uh, I don't want to, to, to abuse your, your uh, attention. Uh, we thank you, everybody, for participating. Uh, I would like, you will get, there will be more uh, information forthcoming. If you get a, a, a communication from the, from the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, please open it. Many of those will contain some of the information that we've just been talking about, about how to uh, mobilize other surgeons, how to mobilize your patients, et cetera. Um, we do need your help. Uh, so open those emails. I want to thank everybody for, uh, that, that has participated, uh, Dr. Nichols, Liz, the Brunswick Group, uh, and Dr. Uh, Spear, uh, and all of you who have been kind enough to give us an hour of your time. Um, don't let it drop here become an activist, you're fighting for the specialty and for your patients. Thank you so much.